Hello, Eric. Welcome to the Vine. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for joining on this evening, short notice. So I kind of want to give you the floor, but I do want to introduce you. You are my husband. We've been married. It'll be, what, 12 years? That is correct. And um, this episode, I want to talk about you being paralyzed from the waist down about four or five years ago. And um, you got the bends, and I'm going to let you have the floor. And if you want to go ahead and start and take us to that place of when it happened, how it happened, what got you through, and your recovery, your healing, and how you're walking today. All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for um, giving me the time to share my story. Let me first start on the day of my birthday, which was September 11th. Um, we were supposed to go on a fishing trip that day, and it was a quite a journey. It was a 70-mile trip, and we had to leave really early that morning. So I woke up around 5 a.m. that day, nothing out of the ordinary, just a normal early day. And it was still dark outside. We got all of our fishing gear loaded up like normal. Got uh, our poles, our spear fishing gear, because we were going to go out there and just have a blast out there jumping in the water and spearing some big fish. And it was going to be a good day, so we thought. And um, we went ahead and loaded up the boat like normal, got in the water pretty on time. You know, we left. Our target was to leave really early. At around like 5, 5.30. And so we got out there super early and started heading out. It was pitch black that, that morning. And so we had to rely on my buddy's autopilot, which we were on a 31-foot yellow fin with twin 250 engines. And the autopilot feature of the boat allows the boat to drive and navigate even if you can't really see. So that really helped us. That morning because it was pitch black and you couldn't see anything. So as we were heading out, it was about a two and a half hour boat ride offshore, Jacksonville. We left out of the Mayport boat ramp and started heading to our spot. On the way out there, it was probably about um hour on on the way out that we came across something huge. We, we hit it, and the boat just came to a screeching halt, and we ran over something really big. It was so big, it almost knocked the motor off the back of the boat. So my buddy, Jerry, he decided, let's take a look, see you know what the damage is on the engine. And so he climbed over and put on his mask and jumped in the water to actually inspect the engine we were thinking maybe we hit a big log maybe who knows but something big was out there that was in our path trying to stop us from continuing on but anyways my buddy jerry jumps in inspects it and we kind of were like all discussing whether we should keep going forward or we should kind of you know turn back and we were like ah maybe we should turn back and we inspected the motor, and we're like, well, the motor is damaged, but 
uh, we could probably still push it out there. So we decided we were just going to keep moving forward. And normally, as we're heading out there, I like to take, you know, my time and just watch the sun come up on the horizon. When you're out on the water, you're looking at this big, glassy, um, vast horizon of blue expansion of water. And the sun will start to come up over the horizon. You'll see the horizon line where it meets the sky. And as the sun's coming up, it starts to illuminate everything around you with this orange glow. And this big, fiery sun comes up, and it starts to come up as a little speck. And next thing you know, it's this big, fiery ball, and it comes up. It's just the most amazing thing to experience out there on the water. So as we're watching it come up, I was just like, man, how beautiful is God's creation? You know, this this is so beautiful, and this is just awesome to be out here. And so I just started, you know, kind of praying to myself, like, thank you, you know, for for the beautiful creation that you made. And I was just kind of having my quiet time with God. And so we kept heading on out there on one motor. You know, the other motor was running, but it wasn't able to trim or tilt. And um, we kept heading out. And I was just looking at the clouds and the sky starting to develop. There was a few little clouds here and there developing. And as the sun was coming up, you could see a lot more uh, the water and the uh, oceanscape out there started to um, started to show up and appear. You could start seeing things. And I started seeing the sky, these clouds passing by. There was a cluster of these clouds. And I remember this one cluster as it was passing by. I looked up. And I rubbed my eyes because I thought I was seeing things. It was like a grim reaper, the shape of like a grim reaper. If you ever seen a grim reaper, he's a hooded grim reaper and he's got the sickle in his hand. And as I look up, that's what the cloud was shaped like. And I was like, wow, I rebuked that. <laughs> like, I, why am I seeing that? And I was like, man, that is that's crazy. And so I kind of, you know, brushed it off and was like, I rebuked that. I'm not letting fear get in my mind or in my head while I'm out here on the water. And we kept going. And uh, we finally arrived to our destination about two, two and a half hours later. And we got there pretty early in the morning, like seven, seven in the morning. And normally what we do is we circle around this big tower. It's called the R4 Tower. It's, you know, like 75 miles offshore. And... It's this giant, like, platform tower where I guess the military used to use it to do uh, uh, different types of uh, surveillance and things like that. But they could actually land a helo out there. And so we got there, and we got all suited up, got our gear on, and decided we're going to jump in and go spear fishing because that's our favorite thing. And we never usually even break out the poles very often unless there's somebody there that likes to just, you know, doesn't like spearfishing, and they'll drop a line while we're in the water spearfishing. So we get there, anchor up. There's another boat out there, and so we anchored close by them, and we jumped in the water, and we were swimming around, just, I mean, filling up the cooler. There was fish everywhere, and it was just like a banner day. And we had the coolers full by about 11, and... um we swam I swam back to the boat I remember swimming back to the boat and we had these two tanks we had rented because every once in a while we'll scuba dive out there but it's really deep it's 140 feet super deep and it's very dangerous and many times we'll go down and you know we'll get a few fish here but most of the fish we get are from free diving just swimming around spearing them from the top of the water and that's usually the best the best way to do it but this day 
um, my buddy was like, hey, man, let's burn up those tanks. You know, we um, let's go down and because and, we rented those tanks. And I was something inside was telling me, like, no, nah, don't go down there. Like, I had this uneasy feeling like, nah, let's not do that. And then he's like, ah, oh, let's just burn these tanks. And then I was like, all right, yeah, we did pay for them. And I kind of changed my mind was like, all right, let's 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 burn them up. So we put our tanks on. We had oxygen. Uh, we jumped in the water. And usually on that deep of a dive, you're not going to have very much bottom time, maybe 20 minutes. Because you're at 140 feet and you got to make your atmospheric stops. Make sure you get to the surface and do your time stops because if not, you know, the risk of getting the bends or decompression sickness, which is nitrogen bubbles building in your bloodstream as you come up, the pressure uh, creates nitrogen bubbles in your blood and it's very dangerous and it can kill you, paralyze you. And so that's what we, what you want to avoid anytime you're diving that deep. So that day we went down, I remember getting geared up, jumping in the water with my buddy. And we started to swim down, make our way down the tower. And I was just enjoying, like, the beautiful scenery. You got all these uh, – this water is just amazingly blue. It's like this blue – it's just – it's like a pure blue. And you rarely see water like that unless you go really deep or really – in really deep, deep water. And so as I'm going down, I'm looking at all the fish swimming around. I'm looking at, like, these beautiful, colorful, like, barnacles and things attached to the structure of the – of the tower and we get down and we're making our way down and you know I, I, I spear a few fish here and there get them on my stringer and I get all the way to the very bottom and at that depth like a lot of times you'll have this strange feeling like you get real lightheaded and uh, a lot of divers will call it the martini effect or it's if uh, you get you go down really deep and the pressure is so great your body might react and um since everything's so compressed in your body, you'll feel almost like you're drunk and they'll call it the martini effect. And you'll feel really out of it. You'll feel like you're pretty much drunk down there. And so that started happening to me at the bottom. And I was swimming around chasing after um, uh, a, a school of, I think it was amberjack, some really good sized fish. And I kind of lost track of my surroundings and time and just I just was out of it I was I was feeling like really um drunk pretty much and so I was like man I need to start heading up a bit to take if you start to head up uh you 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 um go up a couple atmospheres it kind of starts to take the martini effect away and you kind of come back to normal and so as I was coming up to get back to normal I was still out of it a little bit, and this big fish swims in front of me. And out of instinct, I don't know, it was just like a quick instinct. I swung over, looked at it, and shot my gun like almost instantly. And I was supposed to be heading up at that point, and I was like, my mind caught up with what happened, and I was like, well, I shouldn't have done that. Now i got to get this fish off my spear because it was a pretty big fish. And it, if it drags you, it can pull you and tangle around the uh, structure, and then you'll get all tangled up, and it can be very dangerous. So I, I got the fish off as fast as I could, and um, then I looked. I remembered I needed to look at my my um, uh, my gauge to see how much air I had left on my tank. And when I looked at my tank, the pressure gauge, I was super low. I mean, I was at like 500, 
and I should have been headed up around like 700 and I was down to five. So I knew I needed to get moving. So I started like ascending as slow as I could because the rule of thumb is you don't want to go faster than your bubbles. If you do, you risk getting the bends or decompression sickness. And so I started ascending as slow as I could, but I know I needed, I knew I needed to get up pretty fast because I was in a, in a, a very dangerous position where I, if I was to black out down there, I would definitely be in a lot of trouble because there was a current and out there you're in almost 200 feet of water. And with the current, if you were to black out that water, I would have gotten a current and it would have drug me out away from the tower and they never would have found me. And I would have not been telling the story today. So I remember as I was ascending, I thought to myself, man, this is not good. So I started praying in my mind because I know, you know, I know God's always with me wherever I'm at. And um, I just knew I needed to pray. So I started praying. I was like, Lord, I need to get to the surface. Um, I'm going to get to the surface. And I started like just speaking faith things in my mind to myself that I'm going to make it to the surface and I'm going to make it okay. And so I started ascending. And as I was ascending, I got to about 40 feet. And that's when, as I took my last breath on my uh, mouthpiece, I started sucking in and I felt like this restriction, like air was completely being cut off from my tank. Like I had no air left in my tank. And so I took my last little sip of air. It was like breathing air through a straw. And the straw was like under pressure. Like I just, I couldn't get any air. And so I took final little last sip of air and started making my way to the surface. And I'm just thinking, please, Lord, don't let me black out down here. Because if I pass out, it's it's lights out. It's over. So I just kept kept praying. And I started making my way up. And I'm at zero air at 40 feet. And at that point, you're still in very serious risk of blacking out, decompression sickness. You don't want to get faster, go up faster in your bubble. So I'm thinking about this stuff and trying. But I had to get to the surface. So I go up, and at this point, I'm going up pretty quick, and I know that this is very dangerous, but it's worse if I was to black out and get sucked out in a current, like, miles away from the boat, then I would really be gone forever. So I made it to the surface. Right as I was, everything was getting blurry, I, I burst through the surface, and it was like... <sighs> I took my breath and I saw the sky and I was so thankful to make it to the surface. I was like, praise the Lord. And I just remember swimming back to the boat and I just thinking in my mind, oh, this is not good. I may, I came up way too fast. This is not good. And so I got to the boat, pulled myself into the boat, sat down for a minute just to kind of get my thoughts together. Like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. And as I'm unbuckling my uh, vest and taking off my gear I suddenly start to feel these bubbles like in my stomach like it felt like um um it felt like if you ever had a cramp your muscles start spasm like spazzing and you can't control it it just starts doing it on its own it felt like that in my belly and then as it started getting worse and worse um it felt like these bubbles just pushing through my veins going through my body in the most painful, slow way. And um, 
then it felt like a hard Charlie horse on my stomach. And as it was tensing up and like the Charlie horse was at its peak, somebody was taking it, felt like somebody took a knife and just stuck it in there, a dull knife, and just was stabbing me in my stomach. It felt so bad. So I remember just like the only thing I could do to release the pain was to scream. And I just, I just started screaming, ah, like just screaming, man, at the top of my lungs. And, um, I was like, ah, ah, I just had to scream because the pain was so intense. And then my buddies were all like, dude, are you okay? And I'm like, man, I was like, we got to go immediately. I was like, I got the bands, man. And it's, it's getting bad. You know, we got to head back to shore. So we all like got, got the boat unhooked. And there was another group of guys out there in their boat. And they're just like, looking like what is going on? And we start headed back to shore, unanchor the boat off the tower, start heading back. And, um, I mean, we're racing back. And at this point I start feeling like this, uh, this numbness starts spreading down my spine, down my legs, going down to my toes and then kind of spreading up from my belly button area, up my chest, getting close. And how many hours has it been at this point from when it first when you were first impacted? Uh, at this point, this has only been like 30 minutes. So this oh. is about 30 minutes heading back to shore after the accident. After I broke the surface and got in the boat, this is about 30 minutes. All this was happening and um, got to the point where I was there and um, I just totally lost like feeling in my legs. Like it just felt like if you've ever sat too long or had your leg fall asleep, it felt like that, but it was just going all the way down and up my body up to about my, um, close to my chest area, which was scary because, you know, you don't want your heart to stop beating or, or your chest to go numb. That's very dangerous. But, um, so as it was happening, the only thing I could think of was to fight it. Like I had to fight what was happening. And for me to do that was to act on like, act on my faith, which my faith told me to get up and try to walk. So I lifted myself up and I held myself with one arm on the center of the console of the boat and one side on the side of the boat. And I held myself up with my arms and I just started trying to like walk and move my legs. And I was like, God, Jesus name on a walk. This is not going to, you know, this is not going to kill me. And this is not going to, I'm not going to be paralyzed. And I started just saying that out loud. And I started like, Jesus. And I started saying Jesus and trying to walk around the boat. And then suddenly I started walking. Like it started to go away for a minute, like for like 10 to 15 minutes it started going back to normal and I was able to start moving my legs again. I was like, yes. I was like, guys, I think I'm okay. Cause everything started to feel normal again. And so I started walking around the boat and I'm like, guys, I think I'm good, man. I got myself all amped up and psyched out. I was like, yeah, I'm good. And they're like, you sure, man? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good. So like, all right, well, you mind if we stop and fish one more spot? And I was like, all right, man. Yeah, I think I'm good. And so we stopped and they dropped some lines and they were fishing this one spot, which was the worst idea. Um, and uh, so then after like of being there for like 10 minutes fishing that spot, I was standing there and suddenly I just lost full function of my legs and I just collapsed on the floor. 
And that's when everything just went completely numb. Like I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't feel my legs. They were just there. I couldn't, I just couldn't move them. I couldn't wiggle a toe. And that's when I was like, all right, this is serious, man. Like we've got to seriously get, get to a hospital. So I started headed back to shore. They got me back to shore. Um, There's probably better ways we could have handled this, but I think uh, nobody really knew the severity of, of what was happening. So two and a half hours later, we get back to shore. Um, at this point, like, I'm, I'm, like, really scared because, like, everything's completely numb. All the way up and it's still spreading up my stomach to my chest area. And we call, uh, my buddy's like, hey, man, should we call an ambulance or uh, let's just take you to the hospital. So they threw me in his car and my buddy starts driving me to the emergency room. And he takes me to um, uh I forget the name of the hospital right there off University uh, Memorial Hospital, I believe. And um, he gets me in the car and he's driving. And I mean, he's going like a little bit faster than the speed limit. I'm like, man, you think you go a little faster? And so he gets me to the emergency room and they wheel out a chair and they're like, so what's going on? They're like, oh, my buddy, he's uh, he's got the bends really bad and they never had anybody with the bends at that hospital so they they weren't really prepared necessarily for my my case so I get in the hospital they wheel me in there and they're like so what are you feeling I'm like well I feel paralysis spreading up my body to my chest and they're like that's not good so they put me on oxygen immediately which is pretty much the only thing they could really do and uh, then you know um, my friends contact my wife or I call my wife and then um I told her, I said, Angela, uh, I'm in the hospital. I'm all right. You know, I just, just getting some oxygen. I'll be all right. Cause I didn't want her to panic and freak out. So I tried to, you know, not maximize or, or make it traumatic, you know, cause I don't want people to get in fear. You know, a lot of times when you're in a, a bad situation, the first thing to do is to panic. And I didn't want anybody to panic because fear can sometimes grip us. And I didn't want myself to get in fear. I didn't want my family to get in fear. So I just stayed calm and trusted God. And the emergency room doctor, I remember he came in. He was really cool. And uh, I remember him talking with him a little bit. And I, I told him, hey, man, I'm going to be all right. You know, I, I have faith and I, I trust God. And and then he was like, oh, really? He's like, you know what? I, I have a relationship with God, too. And I believe God. And he's like, I'm praying for you. And I was like, thank you. And then he went away and came back. He's like, so how you doing? I'm like, well. It feels like, uh, he's like, if the paralysis feels like it's spreading to your chest, I may have to put you in, a, induce you into a coma. And I've got some bad news because he was trying to figure out where to get me to the nearest decompression chamber because you want to get somebody in a decompression chamber within six hours to reduce any damage um, from the bends. It, you know, the faster you can get somebody in a decompression chamber, the more likely it is they'll recover fully and not have you know, the negative, um, effects of, of, you know, long-term damage. So he was trying to get me to the nearest decompression chamber. They didn't have anybody that could operate a decompression chamber that was certified. And if you don't have somebody certified, then you can't operate a chamber because you can kill somebody in a chamber if you don't know what you're doing. So you have to have a special certification. So the nearest option was either Miami, which was an eight hour drive. Um, they were going to try to lifelight me. The doctor's like, I'm trying to lifelight you, but the weather's too bad. And also altitude can affect the bends and make it even worse. So it was a double negative for the flight. They couldn't get me a flight. 
So he's like, the closest thing that I can come across right now is Augusta, Georgia. We're going to have to drive you up there in an ambulance. And um, I think that I, I need to put you in a coma because if, you know, worst comes to worst, you stop breathing while you're in the ambulance on the way up there. At least we can breathe for you and keep you alive till you get there. So I remember him coming into the room on his last option and it was like, the doctor looked at me and he's like, Eric, I believe in God for you. And then he started like tearing up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's tearing up. And he was like, God's got you, man. He's going to take care of you. But he started tearing up like he was like going to cry. And I was like, oh my gosh, this must be serious. <laughs> if the emergency room doctor is tearing up, man, this is, this is serious. So I was like, man. So then he was <laughs> like, I'm going to get you there, man. I'm going to give you my best, um, um, best guys that are going to ride with you in the ambulance are going to take care of you. He's like, um, and we're going to have to drive you four hours to get to Augusta, Georgia. We're going to put you in a coma. And I was like, yes, sir. You know, you know what's best and I'm going to trust your judgment. So I was like, okay. I remember my buddies were in there and my wife came and Angela, you remember that day. Do you want to add anything when you came in the, in the room? Would you, would you, how'd you feel? Um, I think I'll definitely have to do a part okay, two your on, side. you know, what, yeah, absolutely. But yes, I mean, to me, you're, it's, let's just um, say that you were in the Navy and you were a certified uh, diver in search and rescue. And so this is not like somebody just going in the water sure. for their first time. You've had experience. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been on doing this. I mean, at least over, you know, a hundred dives or so. Um, I had experience and one thing I did learn in the military that probably saved my life um, and for anybody out there who's listening is in a, a, a situation where there's total chaos and, and it's like an emergency situation. If you can stay calm and not panic, you'll have a higher rate of survival and it'll definitely end a lot better than if you were to panic in that moment so not panicking and staying calm and at peace even though it's it's looking really grim and and you know it's like a tra very traumatic situation if you can just stay calm that'll greatly reduce your risk of of loss of life or any other negative effect you know so always always calm yourself down and uh, keep hope and don't don't you know don't don't freak out so, yeah, I think that was the main point. I was going to say that when I saw you, you were calm. Um, prior to that, um, the Lord put in my heart who to call, which was the pastor's wife of our church. And um, she was immediately, you know, went into prayer zone. So that helped me with whatever um, thoughts were trying to come into my mind because I didn't know anything about it which I think that was kind of sure. you know, good like I don't know what's going on all he said was he <laughs> needed oxygen <laughs> and he would be home later <laughs> for his birthday <laughs> and um so he kind of watered that down a bit but it was very serious it um I mean uh, just seeing you laid in the hospital kind of helpless and we had our son at the time was I believe he was mm -hmm. four yeah, maybe mm -hmm. four, almost five. And he was in there in the room. He witnessed everything. Um, and just, you know, everything yeah. happened really fast. 
Uh, it was already six o'clock by this time, and the doctor didn't. It didn't seem like they had much education on what to do. They didn't really have a protocol. I, I would, you know, I think we <laughs> might have been better off googling it <laughs> at that time. Um, so yeah, I just caught the the main the most important thing is in that situation for me as his wife was of course to stay calm. Um, I called his mom was the second person I contacted, not the first, because there is a very, you know, close relationship Mm -hmm. between a mother and a son. And I didn't want that to um, prevent my faith or, you know, how she would react because I didn't know. And your mom was going through a serious situation as well. She was recovering Mm -hmm. from cancer and healing from that. And so um, my faith was strong as soon as Amanda got on the phone and started praying. And she said immediately she was going to, you know, get a hold of Dannon and start praying. And she already, what she said, just totally overcame the situation. And I was like, amen. And so then I was ready to call your mom, which was the second person God put on my heart, call mom. And at that point, I was just kind of, I was just feeling what a mother would feel having to get that call from, you know, the wife saying, hey, this is what happened. And um, she took it. She started praying immediately. She kind of was, she didn't let me finish saying, I said, Hey, uh, Eric. And she could tell in oh, my yeah. breath and what I was saying Mama knows. that it was something. <laughs> yes. It was a nine one one emergency, but I didn't even say anything and I couldn't get it out. I said, Hey, uh, Eric, Eric. And I remember myself having to mm-hmm. keep saying Eric, Eric. And she was like, no, <laughs> No. He's alive. <laughs> and um, I guess yeah, thinking the worst. I said, no, no, no. I, I remember having to cut her off and like, he is fine. And that those words came over me in my mind. I was thinking like he's you, not fine. You but spoke those out words of faith. Came out of my mouth. That was a no, faith no, no, no. statement he's right there. That fine. was powerful because you were speaking. <laughs> you know, you were speaking a spiritual truth over the nor- normal circumstances that I was actually fine. Um. From mm-hmm. the outside, no, it didn't look like it. It looked like I was dying. But uh, when you spoke the words of faith, you said he is fine. That's that was um, that was true. God had me, and so um, I can mm-hmm. I can honestly feel the love and the the support of uh, people praying. The you know when you called the church and the church members were praying and people were praying for me, I could actually tangibly feel the peace of God. I could feel the prayers like it was like they were being sent my way, and I was just receiving it. So through that whole craziness and um, just chaos, when I was at my lowest point, you know, I didn't have one day of depression. I didn't get into fear. I didn't get into worry. And it was honestly supernatural that I made it through that situation, you know, with with this peace and almost a smile on my face. Like, not that I was, you know, happy about my circumstances, but that I was so grateful um, for life and so grateful to be still around and so grateful to have family and people that actually cared about me that I was like, man, I'm going to overcome this and get out of here, you know? So I remember seeing Angela for the last, well, for the last time until I was going to see her again in Augusta, Georgia, after they, you know, put me in a coma. And, um, I looked at her and I said, you know, I'm going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And then I looked at my son and was like, you know, I'll be all right. And I had to keep it together because you don't never want to fall apart in front of your family, you know, and show them that you're afraid and, and, and fear and stuff that doesn't ever make the situation better. So I kept it together and 
just trusted God. Like, look, there's nothing else I can do besides just trust God and, and know that it's going to be okay. And, um, so I remember looking at them and then like, all right, well, I'm ready to go under. And then he put me under, put the mask on my face, everything went dim. And then I was out. I don't remember the transit from that hospital to Augusta. Well, when he put you out, you were, it were you were fighting it. He said, yeah. man, he's so strong. And the fact that when he put you out, it was like, was it was it? almost like a fight kind of, heard you know, that almost is a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. He was like, man, he's really strong and trying to put you out. And then it was kind of almost like foreshadowing what was to happen, you know, with him saying that, like, wow. you're right. You know, so there, was, he there is. was things being spoke over me without me even realizing, like, those words, those things that they were speaking. See, you got to realize and understand that I'm going to get a little bit spiritual here for you. But um, God created this world with words. He spoke the world into existence. And so you got to realize that in that scenario, you're speaking things over people. Like either you're speaking life-filled things, faith-filled things, or you're speaking doubt, negativity, and death you know, there's life and death is in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. And so they were speaking strength over me. They were speaking, he's going to be okay. You know, that this is going to be all right. They were speaking these life-filled things over me. And so I, I really believe that, that that helps a lot when somebody's going through that scenario. Um, be careful what you speak over somebody. Make sure you speak positivity, speak strength over them. And uh, it really makes a difference. It really has an impact on, on people. Your words do. And so I know there was a lot of people speaking faith things over me. So that really carried me through it. And so I remember waking up um, with the tube down my throat in Augusta, Georgia. They, I guess they had already put me through a few sessions in the decompression chamber, but I was, you know, still in a coma. And when I came to, I was, I came awake with this feeling that I couldn't breathe and that I was choking. And so as I wake up, I had this tube down my throat and um, I was like pointing to the doctors, like, get this tube out of my throat. I can't breathe. I started like gagging because I was now awake and I had a tube down my throat. And so I started gagging and choking and they're like, sir, I need you to just calm down. I'm like, get this tube out of my throat. I can't breathe. And they're like, sir, you just need to relax, sir. Just stay calm. I'm like, get this tube. So I'm like, gasping for air and finally they pull it out and I'm like gagging like oh my gosh why did you guys wait so long to take that out but then after that I was up and um that was that was when I realized I was in uh, Augusta Georgia and um Angela my wife was there by my side and I really appreciated that she was there sucking the spit out of my face probably drooling everywhere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I could I had to wait it was almost I we got there a friend of mine it, it worked out great that I had somebody there with me and Caleb and we got there it was almost oh, 4 a.m in the morning at this time and you didn't get into the hyperbaric chamber till one or two in the morning oh so it yeah had let me touch on that so it, day, was, like it was over, over 13 hours. hours till I got my first session in the decompression chamber and just remember what I said earlier is that you want to be in a decompression chamber within six hours of being or of getting the bends to reduce any damage or to have the best possible outcome. And it had been like the worst case scenario for me, like almost 14 hours. So that's almost double the time, you know, more than double the time that, uh, 
you're supposed to you're supposed to get into a chamber so it was circumstances and natural circumstances were definitely not on my side it was looking very you know if you looked from an outside perspective you'd say that it was looking almost impossible for for me to get up out of that situation and be walking again so uh, I remember the doctors they came in and um they were assessing me and, you know, like, How, how's your legs doing? Can you feel anything? At that point, I couldn't even wiggle my pinky toe. You know, I, I couldn't use the bathroom on my own. I couldn't do a lot of things that I used to be able to do. I couldn't even flex any muscles in my legs. They were just completely paralyzed. And um, I remember that feeling for the first time, not being able to use my legs. And just my mind just not really understanding that feeling because I'm so athletic and used to, being strong and jumping off of stuff and running around my mind was hard having a hard time processing that I couldn't feel my legs and I couldn't move them so that was really weird um it's kind of like an out-of-body experience you just your body doesn't feel like yours anymore you're like whose body is this you know I don't remember not being able to use my legs and I've been walking And you were in a burn unit, so a lot of people didn't have any right. idea so they, they of really what to do at dealing with somebody point, but... with the bends or decompre- decompression sickness. So I'm in an ICU burn unit where they treat burn victims, and they use decompression chamber basically to help uh, burn survivors recover because it, it speeds up the recovery process for them and allows you know blood flow and circulation through their body. So they use those decompression chambers the burn victims so everybody around me is a burn victim and i'm the only one in there you know with this condition and i'm the first person they ever seen with this condition so they they had no protocol they couldn't say oh yeah we've had uh you know decompression victim here before or or somebody that um you know that we we know how to treat this they they were they were learning through me so i was like a first time um experiment almost where they didn't know what to do yeah, they were definitely, when you called they it practice, practicing. they were definitely practicing <laughs> on me, so, um, you know. But the um, doctors and nurses that were assigned to oh, man. Eric were excellent. Uh, they yeah, went above and beyond. Nurses, I mean, it was um, amazing. Um, a couple of them were actually believers, and I got to share my faith with them, and uh, that really encouraged me through that whole process, being able to... Um, have such good people around me, those nurses and doctors, they were always uplifting and they'd come in and be like, wow, you're smiling. How are you smiling when you're going through this traumatic thing? You don't even seem like you went through anything. And I'm like, well, you know, it's the peace of God. You know, it's, I got people praying for me and I just, I was experiencing the presence of God in such a strong way that I was like, man, I don't want to sit here and pity myself and, you know, get into depression and all this so I just started like asking if I could like pray for the the doctors and you know we started praying for people at the hospital I was like get me out of this bed just wheel me around take me outside my buddy Jerry came up visited put me in a wheelchair rolled me down a hill as fast as he could to try to kill me again for the second time but (laughs) got my blood circulating you know got me out of that environment and being in the hospital which was good and I actually ran into a guy up the road as we were on a walk. My buddy was pushing me down the road. This guy, um, Will, he was a recovering drug addict. And he, I remember we went by this place. It was like a um, recovery home. And he came out. I was like, hey, man, let me pray for you. I was like, all right. So I went over there. And he's like, yeah, man, my name's Will. I got to meet him. 
He's like, I'm going to pray for you, man. He's like, there's not too many people I pray for that don't get healed, man. He's like, I'm going to pray for you. So it was like totally a divine appointment. This guy prays for me. I get to pray for him. We ended up becoming friends. And later on, he ends up coming up to visit me in the hospital room. Brings me like a uh, a McFlurry, a, a Eminem McFlurry or something. And I was like, yo, thanks, man. And we ended up connecting and becoming friends. And that was really cool. And um, from there, it was just like doctors would come in and be like, how you doing today? I was like, well, uh, I'm believing I'm going to get better. And they kind of didn't know what to expect. And I remember the, uh, one doctor came in and he's like, um, I'm the neurologist. And, um, you know, with your circumstances, you know, I'm not sure that you will be able to walk again. And so he was kind of telling me that I may not be able to walk again. And the damage was permanent and it was pretty severe. So um, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, in Jesus' name, I'm going to walk again, man. And um, I just started, like, kept my mind focused on believing for healing and trusting that I was going to walk again. And so I remember the physical therapist, they're like, hey, we're going to send a physical therapist in. Do you want to do physical therapy? It's like, heck yeah, man, get that guy in here. So he he came in. He was a young guy. He was really nice. And he was like, we're going to get these ladies going. I was like, yeah, man. And so I started with just slightly wiggling my toe, my my little toe, just a teeny bit in the slightest way. And that gave me hope to kind of flex, start flexing my quad muscle a little bit. And I'd get it to twitch just a little bit. And from there, I was like, yeah, that gave me more faith for the next step. And so I just kept trusting and, and working my legs as hard as I could. And they just started increasing. Like I'd get a little bit better. Then I'd move my toe. And then from my toe, I'd be able to move my, my tri- um, quad and then my, my calf started twitching a little bit and then I just kept pressing in and trusting God and pretty soon I was you know flexing my leg and kind of moving my legs and um, I was just grateful uh, to get that far so from there yeah I just kept improving and, and trusting Absolutely. God and um, you know I got to the point where I was able to kind of raised myself up a little bit, get in the wheelchair. And then I got to Brooks Rehab, and they took care of me. That's a whole other story. It'd take me probably forever to do the part two. Yeah, I'll definitely do a part two. Um, I think everybody got the opening and the gist of it, but I definitely want to um, wrap it up so that um, everybody can take in what happened to you. It was a, definitely a very serious situation, and with trust and hope in God and you're I mean an ordained minister that's a whole nother thing within this uh situation um your faith and people praying definitely you yeah, are you know, walking that's, I today was, I attribute the main um reason why I am walking today is because I had people praying for me and lifting me up um power the power of prayer is very real and it works so don't ever um think that your prayers aren't working or that they're not effective because when you pray for somebody you may not even see them and be praying for them it it's doing something it's working so just know that um when you when when somebody around you that you know has something happen make sure you pray for them lift them up in prayer because i can i can sense it i can feel it and i know it works so um yeah don't never neglect prayer Absolutely. And there's a whole nother process into the healing. And um, we'll, we'll do part two of actually um, 
recovery and coming home yeah. with that new normal for that season look like so guys definitely stick around for part two and we just hope that this encouraged you and you know just to always you know I think you were sensitive to the Holy Spirit too at that you know time there's things that God you know God never puts things um, to hurt us in our past and he always does try to warn us or send us little things I think he was I mean we we were sensitive to it but sometimes it kind of gets drowned out with you know, whatever, yeah, not, but yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You're right, though. Um, God warned and, me three times, had, so I'll talk more about that in the next time. But um, He did warn me three times, and uh, God, God didn't put that on me or or make me go through that to make me a better person. But when you do go through something like that, and you stay, you keep your faith on God and your eyes on God, you will get through it. But just remember that it's not God that, that did that to you. It's him trying to get you, trying to help you out of that situation. And uh, I take full credit for some of the mistakes I made. But he, he's so graceful and he's so loving to still extend his, extend his hand to us and help us when we're in our worst situation. So I, I don't blame God for any of that. I take full responsibility. But I blame God for raising me up and getting me out of there. And I'm grateful for that. Amen. Well, glory to God. Thank you for this session. Really appreciate it. And we'll do part two. And thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Have fun.